So I'm. That was a good, good time. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode five. And in this episode, we are talking about Percival Everett's So Much Blue. If you don't know me already, I'm Ryan, and sitting across from me is my good friend and fellow host, Jacob. Hello, and welcome to Better the Bookshelf. Ryan, you're looking good today. How are you feeling, bud? Uh, good. It's uh, it's Thursday today, so it's like pre-Friday, which always gets me a little hyped. Pre-Friday. Yeah. I dig it. It's actually kind of technically Friday now that the workday is over, so... But pre-Friday is, is officially what I call it. Fair enough. Well, let's get into it. So much blue. Yeah. I'm excited. So if you haven't read the book, general disclaimer at this point is stop listening. Go read the book. You're not going to learn a whole lot. You're just going to hear two guys talk about a book you haven't read, which is probably not a good use of uh, the next hour of your time. Yeah. So first we'll go through a ridiculous, I mean ridiculously short, brief plot summary. We'll talk about the writer a little bit. Uh, we'll get into uh, some of uh, the questions that we had while we were reading that we had for each other. Uh, we'll discuss a little bit about the book, and uh, towards the end, we're going to figure out uh, where it's going to fit in our rating system, our three-tiered rating system, patented, trademarked, better the bookshelf podcast. You can't take it. It's our rating system. And uh, then finally, we'll get into what we're going to be bringing to you guys on the next episode. So let's just get into it. Let's do it. So, So Much Blue by Percival Everett. So, So Much Blue. Here's the ridiculously brief plot summary. All right? You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. So Much Blue is a story about Kevin Pace, an aging artist working on a large painting in secret that he's not shown to anyone. Throughout the novel, Kevin reflects on several past events that have shaped his current life, including an affair 10 years prior and a trip to El Salvador in 1979. Is your interest peaked, Ryan? If you're just somebody just like, boom, this is a this is a plot summary from a book I want you to read. Yeah, no. It, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well, okay. If, if I, thought, I mean, that's, that's the episode, folks. We'll catch you next week on Better the Bookshelf. Who wants to write a, read a book about a, a guy painting pictures? It's it's words. Uh, artists are not interesting in uh, in writing terms at first glance. Yeah, sure. After, obviously, yes. having read the book, we can appreciate it for being more than that. But. Yes, uh, so before we get too much further, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Percival Everett. So this is a, this is a, uh, a writer that I got turned on to in college uh, by one of my fiction uh, professors. I, I think I had a short story class. Damned If I Do is the name of the short story collection. And uh, there are a couple that I really like in there that I mentioned at the end of the last episode. Um, and then since then, uh, I've, I've read uh, one of his novels called Assumption. I hadn't read this before uh, before this week. And then there's another one called American Desert uh, that sounds pretty cool. That uh, we may do at some my, point on the podcast. Yeah. Um, so, but Percival Everett, anyway, um, he is. Uh, I, I think I think he's a phenomenal writer. Um, he's a distinguished uh, professor of English at, at USC, um, which has a phenomenal writing program. Matter of fact, when I was thinking about going and getting my my MFA. Um, I was going to try to go to USC just to study with this guy. That's how much. I, uh, I liked him, but, um, and you know, he's, he's done, uh, he's got a bunch of awards and honors. Uh, he's, uh, been included for, for uh, Pushcart prize anthology, uh, best American short stories. He got the Guggenheim fellowship, um, for fiction in 2015, which you're looking at me confused. That sounds like it, a big deal. It's, it is a big deal. Okay. Um, so he, yeah, I mean, he's, he's really, um, he's really an important guy and, more importantly, he's got a ton of books. So if, if anybody liked this one uh, and isn't interested in any of the suggestions I made, there is a ton of other stuff out there uh, that he's written. And uh, I'm sure there's something that would be right up your alley. So um, let's let's talk about this book since it is the book that we read. Um, and I think first we should probably you know acknowledge that uh, there were these interwoven uh, narratives. You know, it wasn't like um, kind of piecemealed together. It was sort of like um, the way that All the Light did it. Yeah, we've, chapter had, by we've chapter. had a trend with a few of our books. And I mean, even just uh, with Faulkner, we had, we've kind of had some books that had different, different dealings in time that kind of come together for a story. But I think this one to me was, was of all of them, the one that was done the best in that kind of it, the way that they were interjected 
it it all felt like it was linearly telling a story. It didn't yeah. feel disrupting at all because every every instance where we went back to to either the uh, the the scenario nineteen seventy nine or in Paris, it was adding to this whole this whole sort of narrative like narrative and and us uncovering kind of this like just behind the surface of what's going on with Kevin. And so, like, I, I, I appreciated it more than some of the other books that we've read that kind of dealt with time. I think it did a really good job of, of mixing those stories together very effectively. Yeah, and and the other thing, you know, so, the, like, novels always have some sort of plot structure, right? Yeah. And And so, you know, you've got your your midpoint, your climax, which tend to be, you know, sort of your heightened um, events. And so if you, if you think about it just from, like, a structural perspective for a second, to... I think I think he's he sort of had a climax in every story um, and like th- there was movement if you just took out each individual piece and constructed it, you know, in its time period. But it also sort of layered on, on top of each other where, you know, you had things from another storyline reveal things about about the next. Yeah. And, and in a very subconscious way. Right. Like it was I, I can't think of a single time w- other than him wanting to talk about his experience uh, or not talk about his experience in South America um, with his wife, where there was like explicitly like a, a, a piece of information that was like exposition for a different piece. Like it was very masterful layering yeah. in that regard. No, I agree. Uh, I, I, to, to that end, I think you had a question about the the different storylines, right? So, yeah, I mean, each of the timelines, if you looked at them kind of uh, alone and separate, mm-hmm. they all sort of represent just kind of different stages. I think one one of it is is interesting because each of them kind of represent like a different distinct stage in his life, although the, the, the other two, the Paris and kind of the present-day ones are very similar, but just sort of the different and kind of the evolution of him, not a, not even just as a character, but just kind of like stages of your life as a man and, and kind of the things that you do. I mean, you, you imagine, you know, 30 years or so in the past when he's younger and he's just like, yeah, you know, we'll go to El Salvador and do kind right. of that, that sort of, sort of almost reckless. I mean, at the time there's a civil Extremely war going reckless. on and that, you know, it's that, that sort of, sort of evolution and how that kind of shaped, uh, you know, going forward as a man and uh, just sort of his relationships there. But the thing for me that I kind of wanted to get from you is which of the timelines did you find, I guess, the most compelling or, or, or which of the timelines did you read and that you were more engaged in with the other? Because I, I, I guess the easy thing to say would be kind of the 1979 timeline because yeah. there's sort of so much, I think more so than any other timeline, sure. there's so much just going on and there the stakes in that timeline. It's like, okay, you less so than, you know, in Paris and less so than the present. Like, it's like, okay, I don't know, like, what bad stuff may happen or, you know, kind of right. the things that are going to be going down. So I can see kind of at a glance that that would be, you know, one that would be engaging. But for me, it was different. And I kind of wanted to get your your sort of opinion on which one drew you in a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think the present storyline really kind of came to the forefront for me because there there was so much going on. And again, I think it's where kind of that, like the, the layering of the storytelling um, kind of all came together um, because, you know, obviously it transpires after the, the other events. So you sort of get like, you know, different um, revelations about, about Kevin. But um, you know, I, I just think that I, I get sucked into sort of the, the, the normal things, right? Like he's, he's a failing dad. Um, he's successful at what he does, but he is, you know, sort of lonely because of, because of that. Um, and you know, obviously he's, he's got relationship issues with, with his wife. Um, and so I just, I just think that there is a lot of like, uh, truth, I think in, in some of that stuff that, that I find personally difficult to certainly to write about, but, um, you know, sometimes it's it's hard to read good books about boring things, essentially, like common yeah. things, maybe sure. not boring. Um, so I, I just think that, you know, I was constantly curious about, like, you know, the, the deal with the painting. Would anybody find out about it? Like, you know, obviously there were things that happened with, with his family and stuff. And, like, why is he di- so disconnected? Um, because it wasn't till late till we understood sort of uh, these other sort of motivating factors uh, for why he distanced himself. Why is he lying all the time? Like, um, you know, even, I don't know, I guess he was honest with himself at the end of the day, but, uh, 
any rate, I, I found that one the the most compelling just in the way that he was able to accurately and interestingly depict sort of common things that people go through. Yeah. And I know a lot of it, I know we were kind of talking a little bit about the show, just kind of the the idea of his own sort of secrets that he's keeping from from Linda and from kind of his family. Yeah. And that coupled with, you know, the the sort of interaction he has with April, his daughter, and and just the fact that she is she's pregnant and she confides in him this, but yeah. she doesn't want him to, you know, tell her mom, his wife, and right. he's seemingly okay with that for some period of time and just kind of how that idea just, you know, I, I don't have the the benefit of being a married man. So that sort of the <laughs> the idea of that sort of dynamic between you and, and the person you're married to, just the idea that you would be keeping such, because not even just, I mean, that, that was just an example with April, but everything that had happened previously in his extramarital affair and, you know, El Salvador, you know, everything that happened like, in El Salvador. Even, even just, his work, like, I mean... To, yeah. to not like one of the first things and it's like I was joking actually with my wife about it last night you know uh normally we come in we have this like sort of routine in conversation it's like how was your day we say some things that went on like to not even really like have those conversations yeah uh that's that's weird which you know we we say the present time but a lot of what encompasses the present time too is they back it up and talk a little bit about yeah. kind of the development post the 1979 thing with him and linda and how their kind of relationship formed yep. and it was kind of weird you know how they sort of formed it it seemed like in a lot of ways he was very sort of disconnected and and didn't really love her and then i think it was kind of you know one of those weird transitions because at the end you know when he when he when he shows her the painting and he and he kind of doesn't confide in her in a sense of, you know, here's everything that's happened. Here's, you know, a lot of stuff that I've kept from you. Sure. But it's kind of, he's confiding in her in a different way. Cause I guess at that point he feels like it's like, you know, it doesn't matter. I've had closure on these things. So confiding in it won't necessarily, you know, bring about any, any sort of, any sort of change, any sort yeah. of positive thing, but just kind of the idea of how their relationship evolved. It's, it's strange to me because it, it, again, it's, you know, we've had examples in some of the previous books we've read. It's like, were they really in love? Right. Were they really, you know, what were the other things kind of in play in this relationship? Was he kind of just so scarred by his previous experience that it's now he's kind of just sort of going through motions, you know, going through the motions of, of how he feels. And so it's it's interesting yeah. to get a perspective from a married man, just that whole idea of keeping so much from someone that you're so just completely you know, entwined in your life with. Yeah. But for the record, my marriage is nothing like that. And, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, not I, I draw, that, yeah no, no, I'm not trying to draw. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm not trying to draw. Ryan, we need to have a session here and talk about how this relates. No, no, no. Oh, it's just, God. it's yeah. just an interesting perspective because you is. have that, you have that relationship, you yeah. know, you have that, that person that seemingly it's, you don't have that barrier with. So. Yeah. No. All right. So that was my favorite part. What is your favorite part? I mean, uh, it would be easy for me to say the 1979 because I think that was the most uh, interesting story in the sense of like that the things that were going on and kind of the surrounding circumstances. But the thing that really stuck with me uh, was the Paris, the the Paris timeline, just because I don't know, I'm a sucker for this like idea of just sort of the melancholic nature of human relationships and just the idea of, and I'd said this before the show that this this whole section reminded me a lot of one of my favorite movies, Lost in Translation. It's mm-hmm. just kind of this idea of you have these people, you know, meeting and and kind of a foreign environment, although it wasn't foreign for Victor, Victor, Victor. We're terrible at French, we, so yeah, you know, I'm not, not even going to try. We'll just say victory. Whatever. Yeah, victory. We'll, Vic, we'll, big yeah. V. We'll Low Americanize v. the crap out of that. Low V. Yeah. So. I know it, it was kind of more so her situation, but just the idea of sort of the the age gap and just kind of the the circumstances surrounding their whole situation and just that I don't know that that feeling that it's just you know you can kind of relate that it's like it's like ah you know he's having an affair it's ter- it's it's sure. you know it's terrible and he's hiding this from his wife and all but at the same time you know that ties in a lot to kind of the Nicaraguan thing where it's or Nicaraguan El Salvador <laughs> it's the drug runners in El Salvador were they yeah, were Nic- yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicaraguan drug runners with Tad but yeah. whatever it was in El Salvador but yeah just kind of you it's in retrospect, if I were to go back now, having read the whole book and only read kind of the Paris excerpts, I think I would have kind of, I think it would be, it would be even more saddening just because it's like, you know, that you see kind of the effect that this, that the 1979 stuff has had on him. And then that whole, I don't know, the whole sort of warped perspective of, of his relationships with people outside of Richard. I mean, Richard really is the only person is, you know, that he, 
that he's honest with until yeah. I guess he is he is with little V with with old victory there sort of at the end whenever he yeah. realizes that they're not yeah. going to see each other at the more so there's no real I guess repercussion to that but I don't know it I just it's true just I don't know I'm a sucker for just this sort of melancholic approach to to romance and how it just sort of I don't know how it just sort of interrupts people's life and perceptions and plans and and things like that and I don't know my thing was is you know I do I think that he maybe cared about her more than his wife, you know? And yeah, I mean, he, well, he certainly seems to have the like emotional, like care for her more than more. So yeah, his wife, um, which to be perfectly honest, seemed a little bit unbelievable. It to did. Me. It like, did. There like was, there had to be a little bit of a suspension of disbelief there. Yeah. For me personally, I think sometimes, things just things do happen right yeah. like sometimes you just you just meet somebody you have some like common uh thing that might not even be like a nice thing that suddenly you just sort of like get your hooks in yeah. and it just it just sort of happens sure. right so i mean that's the suspension of disbelief right is that like you know there's really no like catalyst to this it just sort of like you know rolls on or whatever i that was my i think my only only weird thing I, with the uh, with the Paris yeah. storyline, but um, you know, I mean, to me that seemed of all the storylines, right? Like if we're talking about kind of the the things transpiring, I guess the present day, um, you know, you're already kind of suspending disbelief with this whole like scale of this project that he's working on, and it's been you know nine years and complete yeah. secrecy. There's already kind of it's like okay, you have to suspend, and then everything that's happening in El Salvador, it's very crazy. Uh, yes. You know, a lot of but to me the Paris line, the Paris seemed like it was more. Like I could identify with that more as like a real story, like things that happen, like human, yeah. human interaction and emotion and just the complexities behind, you know, how you feel and, and love and, and how that sort of, that sort of interplays because as a human being, we can all identify with that. I mean, sure. most people have had complicated romances, whether or not they've been cheated on or they've cheated on somebody else sure. or anything like that. Like the complexities of, of just how, you know, we view that it's, I always find that as kind of a fascinating take and, you know, just the overall sort of somber nature, like the melancholic, just kind of sad nature behind it. So that, that yeah. to me was, I didn't think it was the most engaging story, but to me of the three, it felt like it was the most, um, relatable on an emotional level. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I like the, the honesty of sort of the like failure of, yeah. of, of relationships, right? Like, um, you know, sometimes things are, are, they just never, never work out. They never start. Um, and then, you know, sometimes things just become toxic over time or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, that, I think, I think the, the, one of the best parts and really, I guess the heart of this entire book is, is really just relationships. So yeah, let's, maybe let's talk about like some of the characters and, and drive into, into some of the, some of the stuff there. We haven't really talked about the stuff in El Salvador. So let's, let's talk about, okay. Um, let's, let's talk about the time down there and maybe let's start with, I, I had a question like, um, would, would you follow me to, to El Salvador to go save, save my shithead brother? I mean, yeah, like, I, I think, I think <laughs> two, one of two things here, again, that that's why I think that it's, it's cool. The, the timeline of the story, I think a lot of it is dependent upon personal situation. I don't have a family, you know, it's one of those things that if it was something super, super important, then mm -hmm. yeah, I would, I would care enough to, to accompany you. I wouldn't want you to have to go alone to do that if it was like super important to you. But I think a lot of that too is like your level of responsibility, you know, the level of how yeah. close you are to someone and just, you know, kind of weighing the, the risk, you know, sort of elements to, I don't know if I, I, I think we would have a conversation about how prudent it would be to do something like that. If, if there were a civil war or something yeah. similar going uh, on, but obviously we would have a bit more information readily available. Sure. To us, sure. Sure. Uh, sure. Than, than but I, that, that didn't seem, that didn't seem completely unbelievable to me because they've, they establish, you know, it kind of establishes that Richard and Kevin, that it's like, that's legitimately the only relationship that he has where throughout all of the timelines, it's like, that's the, that's the person who, he's honest with that's the person yeah. that he doesn't withhold from and so obviously like that person is important to him yeah and so why do you think that 
Tad was so important to Richard. Like we we don't get a really good like taste of yeah we get like him we get the little background that it's like despite the fact that he's you know been in and out of jail and drug rehab and all this stuff that it was kind of like his mother's favorite and so I don't know I don't know if Richard felt like obligated just because you know it didn't it it seemed weird it wasn't like a familial obligation it was more just kind of like I don't know for their mom's sake maybe to try to be the uh, The, maybe like in the back because you know I don't know like if it's like the sibling thing if maybe you felt you know when we're younger or whatever maybe not when we're adults but when we're younger it's you know it's like if your parents you can feel sort of slighted if it's like oh you like them more than me you treat me you know you let them get away with this and do that so I don't know maybe it was this sort of idea of like I want to be that person I don't know maybe that's a stretch yeah, no, I, I could I could see that because like you you've always, there's always competition in some regard like with your siblings yeah. over your parents. It's attention. like Tad was the favorite. Yeah. Oh well, Tad got in trouble and then I came down and got him out of there. You know. It's right. Like, so now I now should I'm be the, the favorite. Ba- like you yeah. may be the favorite, but I'm the one you know that saved your ass or yeah this that and the other. Yeah, I I mean we get that Tad was you know running drugs down there allegedly too. Um, well, not allegedly. We well, yeah, no, I, <laughs> we find out yeah, it's I, not allegedly. I guess, but. I guess I shouldn't shouldn't say that. But like, at some point you just have to like let things be things. Like, it, at what point did it occur? Like that that Richard needed to do that trip, like to to save his brother. Like, yeah, I don't know. I I. I love you, buddy. We've known each other for a long time, but I cannot imagine like <laughs> going and specifically forget the civil war part, but go anywhere and try to get you out of like drug related stuff, much less march into a jungle with a psychopath sure. before fresh that I just, that I just met who turns out to be a fucking Vietnam war criminal. So let's talk about bummer. Yes. All right. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've got our little segue there too, but yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. The premise of that whole storyline is very, you kind of have to go, okay. Yeah, so this for some is reason, happening. So, so Kevin will follow him because they're incredibly close or, or, or young. And then Richard is going there in the first place because we kind of believe that this is something that needs to be done. That he, feels, family that he feels compelled. Yes, yeah. through family or some other obligation. So once you suspend that, which is already kind of like, okay, that's that's a little rough. Then we get down to El Salvador. And then they, you know, they go to the embassy and they, they get no help there. And then they're yeah. put in contact with Bummer. Who is which? Okay, a the character. The guy at the embassy suggested bummer, right? Like he came out to the lobby as they were yeah. sitting there. Remember, yeah. remembering that, right? Get, well, they gave him the number, yeah, to yeah. go get in contact with them. So then, when they get back though, and they're going through customs and the the CIA's, border, yeah, they're yeah, questioning they're, him. They're, they're questioning him about him. Like, would I, I just wondered why he was still at on the loose at that point if the embassy workers knew like how to get in touch with him. Like, I don't know. It might have been it might have been they weren't trying to get in contact because he was like a, a you know somebody they were looking for. He might have been working with the that, CIA. That's a, that's a good that's point. That's another thing that's that a good point. Too. Because you know, again, if we're this is another level that, you know, it's not necessarily addressed in the book, but if we're talking about, you know, the seventies, the height of Cold War, yep. You have a destabilized, you know, South American country, then yeah, yeah, our, 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 you know, the CIA, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't put it entirely past, you know, the CIA to, to have, you know, people embedded and That's involved true. in, in sort of stirring that all up. Have you, have you watched Narcos? I have not. Oh my gosh, man. I, I cannot, I cannot recommend that show enough. Both, both seasons of it. Um, I think they've only made two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, phenomenal. Some of the best things I've, I've watched on TV. Uh, and it, it reminded me a whole lot of, of you know, that whole thing. Well, it reminded me too. I, I never saw it, but I remember seeing previews for it, that Tom Cruise movie where he's the pilot that came oh, out recently. Oh, yeah. What was that? They uh, had him like doing drug delivery and was I don't it know. Like the American or something? Something or like confused? that. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah. That, that was kind of like when I was reading this, I was like, oh, that sounds like kind of. So that was that was my I, I can see I that can was my interpretation that. that he was somehow maybe involved with the CIA maybe that it wasn't necessarily that he was kind of in exile yeah. you know or deported or anything like that did it, did it strike you as weird that he was so willing to help out um, I mean he he had his way of going about things obviously and and part of that was was not you know letting these guys on to exactly what he was doing sure um, but he just seemed like a guy that generally would be disinterested in helping people um even even for a decent amount of money yeah you know yeah he was a little on the unstable side that was kind of 
that was that was the thing about the whole El Salvador story is that most of the people that they kind of interacted were more than willing to to help them kind of in a roundabout way. Um, yeah. You know, even if it's like, oh, they'll help for money. But it's like, you know, if I'm I, I wouldn't expect that degree of people going out of their way because it was one of those situations where, you know, they go try to find him and they're at the cantina and then they find, you know, the village that's been attacked. And yep. and then they go back and, and then he's ready to come back the next day to to help them find someone else that, you know, maybe is in contact with him. So that that was that was strange to me that he was like going out of his way again to to help them out. It just seemed kind of strange from yeah. from a stranger like even though it was like oh the prospect of getting paid for this it did it did feel yeah. a little strange. which probably supports your idea that maybe he was involved in in something else um okay so we have we, we've got to talk about carlos yeah because this was one of my questions yeah. is is sort of the character of carlos and his sort of interaction with kevin kevin just got at, at the end of the at the end of the El Salvador story, you kind of have this big blow up between them where he, you know, gets the book from him, take tells him to, you know, he sends him off under threat of shooting him. And then yeah. he goes, you know, he goes to burn the the book of photos. And just this idea that Carlos, you know, he goes and takes photos of of the dead and sells it, you know, back to their to their families who are trying to find these people. And, you know, that does seem kind of shitty. I mean, just the idea that you're selling families their you know closure or you're selling them back this like last moments of their loved ones but i don't know the character you know it seemed like kevin approached the character uh in very you know black and white like it was like what you're doing is shitty and yeah yeah and you know it's i, I don't approve of it and you know i'm going to take measures against you know getting this book from you and, and, and burning it yeah um but at the same time like in the scope of the events sort of surrounding them in El Salvador, you know, it's a civil war. Um, there's a lot of just chaos and, you know, people are, are losing loved ones. And just this idea that, that you can provide closure. I mean, like, yes, you're monetizing, you're monetizing people's grief and death and, and things like that. But the idea that if you're, if you're, you know, if someone in your family went missing and you don't know what happened to them and, you know, someone's like, listen, I have photos of the dead here. You can look in the book you got to pay me. And if your loved one's in there, you know, there's some closure for you. Like I, I can understand, uh, the sort of gray area of that. Like if, if it were me personally, like I would want to know, I would want to know, I wouldn't want to wander, you know, kind of what happened to, yeah. to loved ones. So it, it was kind of weird. It was kind of a, a weird area for me. I, I kind of saw a little bit more on the gray there than necessarily just sort of like what he's doing is shitty. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, he serves, he does serve a purpose. He does. And like, I mean, how many people die at war that, that people never find? And, you know, to your point, loved ones wonder, you know, where people are. And unfortunately, like, it's the shittiest possible outcome for, you know, somebody to, to have to use him. But, you know, if you think about his perspective, too, like, he's gone around and, and seen... Uh, seemingly awful things like repeatedly and, he's got yeah, a whole binder of and just the risk that he puts himself into by being right. in those situations to begin with like i can understand that it's you know you would want compensation for that in some form or fashion yeah i mean i certainly i think sympathized with with what he was what he was doing um a bit more than than kevin seemed to and kevin was probably influenced by you know what he had dealt sure, with, yeah, with the girl just and the, bearing, the immediacy of yeah. like the girl's dad and, and helping yeah. her family, you know, helping her family to bury her and just that. Yeah. I mean, like I can understand how that can emotionally compromise you where you don't necessarily see it, you know, as like, Oh, well let me weigh both sides. You know, if you're, right. if you feel that way and you, this is something that you're just kind of experiencing out of the blue. Yeah. You would probably feel, you know, I, I, I can definitely see from that aspect too, that he would be upset about that. So. Yeah, we had we had our present day storyline and everything that's going on with April and and then all of a sudden we have this like little, you know, moment where he decides to go back to El Salvador. Yeah, he just sort of snaps in the middle of like all of the drama. Yeah. And that kind of that seems to me like that was more of a that was to wrap up the El Salvador story as just kind of like in the middle of the home story. Like you take that out and that sort yeah. of wraps up that story. And then whenever he comes back and kind of so confides in, yeah, in so his before, wife and shows her the painting and. So when he said he had to go back to El Salvador, they were a little bit, uh, or I don't know why I say they, like Everett's got multiple personalities. Um, 
he was a little bit coy about why he was going back. So, and I, I sort of had two thoughts. It yeah. was, it was either, um, because he felt guilty for the guy he shot, he was going to go chase that down or it was the little girl. Did you, did you sort of have that? Like, which, what thing is he doing or did you uh, know? I, I felt it was probably the closure with, I like I thought, well, no, I guess it was a little bit of both. I think that because you even see it whenever he goes back, he tries to find, you know, the cantina, but the cantina yeah. is gone. I think it was more so he was just going back to kind of like retrace his steps in a way and and sort of get closure on the on the things that happened there because at the time, you know, it was chaos. He couldn't really process everything or yeah. take everything yeah. and he just left and it kind of shaped the way that, I mean, really, the events that happened there shaped the rest of his life, good and bad, good yeah. in a sense of his work and and sort of that dark, you know, translated into his work, which we can get into here in a little bit, yeah. but also bad and just sort of how it affected his relationship. So I saw it really kind of as an entire, entire sort of thing. Like, you know, he was going to find out what happened to the police officer if he was, you know, he didn't even know if it was like anyone knew that he did it, if he was wanted there. Or, right. You know, so, yeah, I, I think it was a little bit of both. Yeah, I, I just, I really thought that he was going to go back for that alone. Like it, it, if I, if I were betting, I, you know, it would have been, you know, three to one odds on, you know, him going back just to, to sort of get rid of the guilt of, of killing that guy, even though he clearly felt like he murdered somebody. I mean, he says that, right? Like, yeah. um, and it v- seems like it was self-defense. Yeah. In a way, the, the way it's like portrayed narratively, it seems like it wasn't right. I don't know. It's not like he had gunned him down in cold blood. It was, he feared for his life. You know, the cop but, had shot at him thinking it was, you know, part of, but it's told in first person. So he could be, you know, sort of masking the actual events. So then you get into the whole unreliable narrator thing and maybe, He's trying to make himself. I don't. I just thought of that. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I I felt like that that interlude was a little bit um, unnecessary. Yeah. At that at that point, um, I, I didn't really. I mean, it, it, I didn't get anything out of it. Yeah. I mean, it served a purpose. It was kind of a. It was kind of a means to an end, right? It was kind of like that. Every every you know the the Paris storyline had kind of been tied off because it was like hey you know they had their moment and it's we're never going to see each other again let me tell you all this happened to me with el salvador and she confides in him that you know she tried to kill herself and so that was kind of a wrapped up thing but you kind of just had this whole sort of looming thing that it's like okay this has deeply affected his life and there's no real way to get closure about the stuff that you experienced down there and so i i could see it you know kind of purposefully in that but yeah it did just feel strange like it it just kind of came out of nowhere it was like i'm going to el salvador yeah and in such a such a weird um a weird time to do it i think although it sort of underlines the fact that um he sort of runs from everything right like he never really ever hits something like head on anymore when yeah, it comes it, to conflict. It, yeah. It didn't seem like, yeah. After, after everything that had happened, he kind of just, uh, was going along with the motions, you know, it was kind of doing, doing the things to avoid yeah. blocking the boat, you know, not being completely honest, just kind of being secretive a lot of, and you know, that was the whole, the whole thing about the, the big painting is to me is it just felt like it was just, you know, a representation. And I, I this is a little on the nose. Like it's obviously that it's a metaphor kind of sure. for himself and right, just like right. a representation, but you know, that was sort of more driven home through that sort of ending process for me. But yeah, the El Salvador thing just was, I don't know. It was just kind of like, I guess, tying up that whole story. Although I didn't feel like it needed it. Yeah, I, d- I didn't really either. I, th- I thought that it served like as a catalyst for everything else, like well enough to that point. Yeah, they, and, you didn't, it didn't really need to be like, OK, and, you know, he went back and, you know, they met him. Like it was like we got enough from, OK, this influenced all of these things. We don't need to to readdress it or to go back and find closure in it because right. it's still a fact. Like even in finding closure, like you're not just going to instantly, you know, be completely changed in a way with how you open up. I mean, I guess right. to some degree you see that like maybe, maybe that's the thing is it's open-ended because it's, you know, by taking steps, by letting Linda see the, the painting that it's, you know, you're taking steps to kind of correct this 
this sort of behavior. Yeah. And maybe but, that is, maybe that was actually a catalyst for that. Like I, I could, know. I could see, uh, I could more see him going back and like turning himself in if he like felt guilty for, you know, doing this or, you know, but yeah, he, he goes, he goes back again. I like, I feel like it was a, it was a selfish thing yeah, to, it's very to try to find the, it's, the it's, girl's it's, family. Yeah. It's very self-serving. Um, in some it, ways it kind of seemed that way. I don't know. I kept, I kept, I kept fixating on that. Like if I were in his shoes, like, would I want to go back and talk to the, the brother or the father? And even if I did, like, what would I have to say? Like, what would my, uh, being there, you know, do for them? And would it, would it be, would they be worse off? Because, you know, here I am made this whole journey to, to, you know, represent myself in, or in, in their lives and say, you know, Hey, remember, yeah, remember this awful wounds. thing yeah, we shared that's together. That's part of the thing too, is, is like, why would you want to lay that on somebody? I mean, granted it seemed like that experience wasn't necessarily, you know, they were like upset. Well, how dare you come back and, you know, make right. us think about that again. It seemed like it was more of a receptive thing, at least from the father, not so much from the brother, but, um, yeah, yeah, it did. It did seem a little bit self-serving in that regard. So staying staying with that that sort of theme, I mean, we could we could probably sit here all evening. Yeah, and, let's get into some of your questions. Go through. So one one of the things that I wanted to talk about was um, his his whole thing with with keeping the the pregnancy secret. Yeah. First first of all, um, <laughs> did it strike you as odd that he didn't? seem alarmed um and and maybe that's like that's the adult because he knows that you know there are options and it's not necessarily the end of the world kind of yeah. thing but as a father did it did it, it, it struck me as strange that he wouldn't like have a reaction to that really. yeah i mean it was more so like a curiosity out of him because he you know it was like oh is this guy the is this the father of it we need to invite him in and it just kind of the whole yeah. he was yeah he was kind of like blase about the whole just idea that she's pregnant and that she, you know, don't worry about it. Don't tell mom cause I'm going to get an abortion. And it's, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it did kind of strike me as strange. It's, he seemed very like non-reactionary to that. Yeah. It was more so, it was like, he was more so concerned about finding out, you know, whether or not that guy was the dad or just like whether or not he should tell Linda, you know, he told Richard and talking with him and right. it's just kind of like, that was more concerning to him than like the actual well-being of his daughter. Yeah, I mean, the, so the thing that really, other than his reaction that that struck me as astounding, was obviously that his immediate reaction wasn't to tell to tell Linda. Yeah, and like I could see, I could see him going to to Richard first and like asking the advice, like you know, how do I best approach this? Like, how does the conversation go? Um, you know what what do I do if this goes sideways, you know, between the two, like just sort of getting the, you know, Hey buddy, you know, kind of advice. Um, but to not tell his wife, I mean, did that, did that, I don't know. The whole thing just sort of jarred me. Like I could not compute that a man would not tell his wife yeah, that and his I mean, daughter that's, was and pregnant. That's right. But that's, that's also, you know, it's different for you than it is for me. Cause you have that personal experience. You are married. And just that idea of having, of being so, you know, connected and close to someone that you would never keep something from them. Like I can see from a standpoint of just sort of the, I don't know, the events of his life that his character, his nature, um, up until that point, And just maybe that his relationship with her wasn't as authentic, that it was more so him just kind of going about things, you know, they were, yeah. they got married and he was never really super compelled with that. And then they just kind of had kids. That was sort of a thing that happened. It wasn't something that they were, you know, super into so yeah it was just it just kind of seemed like their whole relationship in general was very um i don't know very not 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 fake or fraud but very um just sort of separate there was just this like gap between what you would have sort of normal expectations in kind of a married relationship especially yeah. one where they had you know seemingly been together a considerable amount of time they had kids i mean he had an a you know he had an affair that he never told her about so right so if anything it doesn't surprise me that he would that he would withhold information from her that just seemed at that point to be his nature but i understand yeah. that you know kind of from from your viewpoint that just would seem crazy just it, the idea of that it does like and and it to me it seemed to be a vehicle for like 
um, sort of rectifying the guilt that he had for not being close to his kids, right? Like, yeah, that it's like I keep the secret for you, exactly. and you can confide me, and we can kind of repair this sort of this distanced relationship as you guys have gotten older, and you know he's had his issues with drinking and things like that, right? But so. that's but that's like preposterous. Oh to me. yeah, like like one thing when when you're when you're growing up that I feel like you should learn pretty early on if you're a smart individual is that mom is always going to find sure. out. Sure. Oh, like, absolutely. You don't lie to mom. Like it, it just, it, it's, you it's try, inevitable. you try yeah. the first, you keep trying. And then it's just like, well, this is so much like I'm having to jump through so many hoops. It's like, Oh, where's, you know, when you're a kid and if you break something or if you lose something and you're just having to go through hoops and eventually you're just like, whatever, just own up, just fucking do it. Just own up to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, most of the time, like I'll, I'll <laughs> I, I could tell you stories, but uh, one time I cut my sister's hair. My sister had like really long hair when we were when we were kids. Yeah, and uh, she talked me into like cutting some of it off. So I like just took a chunk, and it was <laughs> it was like seriously like mid back length hair. Oh God, um, or maybe a little bit shorter at that point. And I cut like six inches off, and then I threw it behind the TV because what else do you do with a chunk of hair? Right. Sure. And it was all those big, like, uh, you know, box TVs. Oh, yeah. Like we had the old Magnavox. None, none, none of the flat screen. Yeah, you're not wall. moving it. It's yeah. like 260 I'm, pounds. I'm in sure a wood cabinet. Yeah. There's somebody out there that was like, how do you throw hair behind a, a flat screen? Oh, TV? it's possible. That's not smart. Uh, anyway. So, uh, yeah. And like my mom found it like right away. Sure. Um, of course, because, <laughs> Oh, let me, oh, what's, mom's, why is there hair here? Yeah, yeah, moms, moms are moms. And we were both like, ah, oh, nothing, nothing happened. Who knows? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so you just, you, you can't, you can't keep stuff from mom. And, and, you know, something, something like that too, like, the, that is something that his daughter is going to struggle with at some level if she were to go get an abortion, like emotionally, Probably right away, definitely, you know, throughout different points of her life at, at varying degrees, um, even if it was the the right decision. And to not like see that his daughter probably needs the most support um, possible and probably most importantly from, you know, her mother who yeah. you know, can sort of sympathize on on that whole experience like it just i don't know he i i don't want to call him an idiot but like he's an emotional idiot yeah, like pretty when, much when, it, when you kind of boil down to it like he just his interaction with people is not appropriate yeah <laughs> like throughout throughout the in, entire book so yeah i just i i thought that was uh that was that was really nutty yeah so one of the things i was going to say was you know for a book about an artist we haven't talked a whole lot about his art yeah, and kind of how it's how it's portrayed, how it's written in the book. Because I know color plays a big role in in some of the things that we hear described about it, but we don't hear a lot else about about his art. No, not not at all. Um, I do, I, I do think that it was it was kind of interesting how he um, described everything like through color. Yeah, and um, I think. I think that's a that's a difficult thing to do. I wonder, I wondered a little bit while I was reading it if uh, he didn't do it just to sort of use some of the words and like descriptors because there were there were some fun colors in there. I, I meant to write some down, yeah, uh, as I was going through, but I I, I forgot to do it. But um, you, you never really get a sense of what he's like painting, though. Yeah, you know, obviously it seemed clear that it wasn't landscape type stuff. So I, I have an impression of what I think he was doing. What do you, what do you think? I mean, if I had to guess, I would say it's some form of like abstract impressionism. Okay. Thing like that. That's, that's kind of, kind of what, where I was going. Like, um, yeah, I just, I just sort of saw like, you know, big blobs of color, like kind of blended together. Sure. Um, like, uh, what's his face? Was it Rothko that did like the big, uh, the big canvases that were just like, you know, red and then had like a yellow stripe through the middle, <laughs> like that, that sort of stuff. I don't know if it was that like, not, not, I, not quite that, sure. uh, avant-garde if you want to call it that, yeah. but, uh, it seemed to be a little bit more complex, but. 
yeah, I, I was, I don't know if it was like a, like a sellout kind of thing or like where, you know, Everett didn't want to go through the trouble of trying to explain. Cause I mean, yeah, it, it, it felt like the art was more just kind of a vehicle, just more of, especially just sort of the idea of he's creating this big painting and this big masterpiece and it's very secret. It's just more so there is kind yeah. of a conveyor of a representation of, of Kevin as a person, just kind of the parallels between that. Then it is like, we learn a lot about his art. Cause really the things that we know about his art is that, you know, post his experiences in 1979, that it's gotten, it's dark, but he's been successful and that it's allowed him kind of this lifestyle that he has with his family. And so we know that he's a successful artist, but we don't really know a lot about sort of how it influences life. You know, it's more so that his life has kind of just influenced these pieces and they're sort of a separate thing altogether. Yeah. The thing that I, that I thought was, um, was kind of interesting too, was like, I, I don't know if you've ever spent time with, um, around like artists or anything or, or known anybody, but there is sort of this like, and I don't mean to be to be rude, but I'm going to be frank. There, there's just a lot of bullshit that goes on with art sometimes, and you saw it in. Well, I think in uh, like just I, his customers. Yeah, I think in a lot of I'm, uh, okay, art is an easy art's a pretty easy uh, an easy example to pick on, but I think in a lot of medians where where people, I mean, in any median where there's room for human expression, there's room for human bullshit, right? Like whether it's music, whether it's you know, acting, whether it's art, whether it's literature, you can take things to kind of the the most extreme of just sort of absurdity where it's the content, you know, is less as important as sort of the ideas behind it. But yes, but just the idea. But I do, I, you know, we can get into a whole episode about kind of how I view on 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 sort of the transition. And because I have thought about this, OK, of like with with modern art and sort of its its transition in that and kind of how in a lot of artistic fields you have these sort of out there ideas that latch on to people where it's more, more sort of this idea than it is substance. And, and the big thing for me with that is, is, you know, if you're talking about just sort of technicality, whether it's in music, whether it's in acting, whether Mm -hmm. it's in literature, whether it's in painting, then it's very difficult, right? If, if what, if what we judge things on is on a technical merit, it's very difficult to ever find new avenues right because it's very yeah. you kind of keep everyone within a you know a constraint in a box and it's like sure. you need to do this this and this and this and you need to be technically good at it if you're not we discard what you do and we we raise up the people that are technically good it doesn't allow yeah. people it doesn't allow a lot more sort of human emotion and elements into it so i, I can appreciate the idea of doing things that aren't necessarily like technical wonders but just sort of the the idea behind it and sort of the the process that you do with it and, and the uniqueness behind it. I think I think you can give merit to that. Now, I think it's taken to some extremes where people do like, here's an empty glass cube of nothing. And it's yeah. it represents the soul. Of, like, I, I can understand that there's some bullshit, you know, there. And, and it's in a lot of fields. You know, a lot of fields sure. will have it's like whether it's whether it's super out there, sort of musical stylings or just, you know, very strange, you know, depictions or literature or things like that that I think is kind of you know you have these weird one-offs but I do appreciate the idea of of things beyond just a technical nature things beyond the ideas behind it and the moods and emotions because really you know that's that's what makes art whether it's whether it's paintings whether it's drawings or literature or music that's what makes art a uniquely human experience over seeing something yeah because because you know, you would say it's like art, art and of this nature. You could tell I've thought about this a little bit, but uh, yeah, just clearly the, the idea of beauty, right? Like there's beauty in things that aren't humanly created, right? You go yep. outside and you can see, a, you know, a mountain or a landscape and you say, God, this is just beautiful. Just the idea of beauty and nature around us. And you would think that within art, it's the idea of trying to capture those, those emotions, right? When you look at a piece right. of art, you want to feel some emotion, you want to feel beauty or you want to just be in awe of something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the way that, you kind of just see it as a, as a human experience is just how can we sort of distill these other emotions and thoughts? How can you make a thought into a painting? How would you, how would you, how would you translate a thought into something like a painting? Yeah. How would you paint that? How would you make a song about that? How would you write about that? Like there has to be some element of, of, of abstraction. and, And with that, you kind of have to sort of have, you know, a backstory with it where, where a lot of it is like, listen, you know, you can look at this piece of art and it may not make sense to you at first, but 
uh, what will make sense to you is the idea or this emotion that I have. Yeah. And, and then it might make more sense. It's like, you know, if you have this emotion where it's, you're not, you know, just kind of the way you feel and how would you translate that to a canvas? And, and through that explanation, you can kind of more connect with that idea. But I think that that, you know, that can be taken obviously to these ridiculous extremes and yeah. and these, and, and crazy things like that. But I, I do think there is value. In that. No, I, I, I do too. And I, certainly wouldn't want to want to say otherwise matter of fact like if if i had a talent that i wish i had it was that you know i was i could be artistic like sure i just uh i just you don't can. have that i don't have that like nah, i just don't have that vision like you know uh, i mean it takes th- different ways yeah. I, maybe not artistic from like a, a a painting or drawing standpoint but i know that music has been has always kind of had a place in your life yeah. not, maybe not even just like performing but just like listening and for sure enjoying music and, yeah. and reading and, and literature well, and, and, and appreciating art. I was that. And some art DMA yeah. for, for years. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I, th- you know, I think that, um, I think that sometimes people can be annoying about art when it comes to just sort of like declaring things <laughs> like, um, especially like there were a couple scenes, um, where he was talking about how customers, you know, would say that this is, uh, I found it especially annoying, like in the in a couple scenes where he was talking about customers or even the uh, the owner of the gallery in Paris, mm-hmm. um, where they would just sort of make these you know declarations like um, about what you know this this represented or whatever, and 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 yeah, I mean sometimes you you look at something um, and you do have like an emotional reaction to it, and you know one of the ways that we communicate. Uh, and, and certainly about uh, art needs to be through through language, right? Yeah. Um, like I don't know how else. Like I guess you could paint a paint uh, painting based on your feelings of another painting, and I'm sure that happens. But um, yeah, it just I don't know. So, sometimes to me, it, it just feels um, I, I it's it's such a personal thing to look at something um, that I like and to sort of just be there with it as as weird as that sounds i'm kind of yeah. s- I'm kind of being what i said i, I don't like dealing with it's, it, i don't know it's like it's like being emotionally uncomfortable like it's talking about emotions sometimes is difficult and i guess like talking about painting being emotions or you know uh what they think the artist was thinking at the time is like my like uh being uncomfortable about about talking about that yeah um that said, uh, I think one of my favorite things in college was like the art history classes that I took and uh, like just learning about the different like influences of, of um, you know, what obviously people had gone through um, or, you know, sort of the experiences of their time, but then also like the influence of, of other artists and stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's not dissimilar from, from literature in, in any way I or mean, music yeah, or, or, or any, or yeah. any create or acting or any creative endeavor. It's very much, there's so, so much interconnectivity there in terms of the, the things that motivate us as human beings to, 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 to explore these mediums, whether it's storytelling through, you know, acting or writing, whether it's storytelling through music. I mean, every, yeah. everything that's trying to tell a story. In some form or fashion, that's the human human nature is is the is the narrative nature. We live on stories. Our lives are stories. You know, the experiences of our ancestors and all this. These are things that that are that are interesting and intriguing. The one thing I was going to ask, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just kind of as a side note, since we're talking, I mean, now we're kind of getting into art because at at the yeah. heart of the book, yeah. you know, Kevin's an artist, and and a lot of that sort of comes into play with the just sort of the description and 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 sort of the inner workings of the book is. Art. What's your favorite art style? Do you have a favorite artist? Do you have a favorite artist, uh, a painter, uh, um, just specifically in, I guess, in visual art? Yeah, I like. I'm I'm a big fan of just really like, uh, I guess, abstract ex- expressionism, yeah. like that that whole thing. Um, I like um, anything from you abstract know, expression. I realized yeah. earlier in the podcast I said abstract impressionism and I just realized I meant abstract abstract That's, impressionism would be a very strange that, uh, it would be that would be a very strange crossover. I wonder I, I bet all I bet, the all I bet we any, could find something. Anybody at home who's like knows anything about art and they heard me yeah. say that they're like what the <laughs> fuck is this guy talking abstract impression we just yeah. created a new a new genre. Uh, yeah, I bet I bet somebody's done something yeah, in sure. that style somehow. But um 
yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I'm kind of all over the place with with that. I like things that I have to look at and think about, um, which I think For is sure. why I like really anything that's even a little bit abstracted. Um, I, I I tend to get away. I know I mentioned Rothko earlier. Um, I, I don't like some of that stuff yeah. where it's just very like sort of spatially um, involved. Um you know, I, I can, I can get behind different colors, um, you know, look for nuance and technique or, or, um, separation or, or whatever. But when you just give me like a, an empty cube in the side of a gallery or a black canvas or, or something like that, unless there's something, you know, more to that, I, I tend to, to be disinterested. So I have kind of my, my thing, um, there, but I would say pretty much anything that's been done since like turn of the 20th century really? on okay. is like my my favorite stuff okay i, I can understand that See, what, what is yours well for the long time for the longest time for me i was just i loved like classical like renaissance era okay stuff just 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 kind of the scope and and just sort of the fact that it's like you have these pieces of like these these works that were you know just labored on for this yeah. such a long time and just kind of i don't know just the scope of it that that for more for me early on when I was like, you know, looking at art and things like that, just the scope, it's like someone, you know, did this five, 600 years ago yeah. or, or these like, you know, crazy, just the scope and, and, and how massive so much of it is, you know, you have these works that are 15 feet tall, you yeah. know, 10 wide. And it's just, it's, it's insane. And then recently, you know, I, I've kind of, I, you know, I tried to dabble and, and sort of explore a lot of things and I really like surrealism. I really like Salvador Dali. Yeah. Uh, those type of things interest me. So kind of, yeah, like early, early 20th century, sort of that era, like, like Dali and Picasso. I, yeah. I really like, uh, you know, I really like, uh, surrealism. So I could, I could agree with you there. Um, we're, we're going to, uh, to Italy and London and a bunch of other places, uh, but specifically, we're we're hitting up um, a couple museums that I haven't been to in London yet, uh, art museums. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. And then, um, uh, was it Peggy Guggenheim? Uh, she is buried in Venice, actually. Oh. And uh, I think there's a there's a small museum there, so I'm gonna try to make it a point to to check that out too. So cool. There's it's just I mean over there you got churches and you know all that yeah. kind of stuff too. I mean you talk about classic you know sort of Renaissance era stuff. I mean you can go you know just through normal streets yeah, in, just in Italy architecture and, boom, and design you know, yeah. fountains like statues. It's just there's so there's so much stuff over there for sure. It, It'd be uh, be cool to live in a place like that where you're just sort of um, surrounded. So um, we, we got off on a tangent. We yeah, should probably we, woof, let's big, reel it way back in here. So so let's back let's reel it back into the book by talking about the painting. The painting, yeah. So and we can tie this in a little bit to like the actual like end of the book, right? So it seemed to me that like Kevin um, sort of paints by color, right? Like. Yeah. Um, Again, not not a lot of talk about structure or anything. So color is is obviously something that um, that he communicates through in his in his work. So, how do you imagine this this thing looked? I mean, I you know again, I think it's just kind of this like abstract, not necessarily defined forms, but just this more sort of, especially at a scale where we're talking about yeah. twenty by thirty feet. You know, something so massive. Yeah, it just seemed like it was maybe just different hues, so much blue, yeah. you know, as the title of the book and as, you know, Laura says at the end, just sort of these these sort of contrasting colors and idea and just the color blue, like just the idea of like the color blue is typically associated if you're talking like emotionally, just sort of as associated with kind of like sadness or just kind of like somberness and and just if you kind of get the idea of the book that there's that that, that like underlying like I think the good word for me that I would use for it, and especially kind of with the pear stuff, is just this kind of like melancholy. Yeah, that I would associate a lot of like blue with. So that 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 would be the thing. I would think it would just be kind of these like contrasting, you know, different colors and and nothing too terribly, nothing too terribly large outside of that. I don't know. Did do you think it's like? I, I struggled in my mind sort of picturing whether he was sort of like keeping things in sort of shapes 
you know, like he, the, the reason I wondered this was because he seemed really disinterested, um, in victory's watercolor stuff and, uh, and all of that. So like, I wondered if his stuff was a little bit more just like, you know, uh, here's, here's a, like just amorphous shape of color blending into another amorphous shape. Um, or if it was more, you know, something structured that was like, you know, here's a, here's a square of a color fading into another, you know, shape or, or something. I don't know. I, I, I wish I, and maybe again, it was purposeful. So we would wonder about what it looked like and make it, make it into our own. Yeah. Everything about the art in this book is kind of, it's, it's important, but it's not, you know, just put out there for you to say like, Oh, here's, here's, you know, here's this painting. So it, it does leave that little bit of kind of interpretation and in how it relates to sort of Kevin as a person. Okay. So we're running out of time Two two quick questions. Uh, were you disappointed that, uh, at some point the, the painting did not get destroyed? <laughs> yeah, I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of curious with this whole sort of exploits with the bug zapper and trying to figure out, you know, yeah. that was, that was something that also kind of stood, stood out to me. That was a little strange that he was like kind of going through this process, thinking about destroying it after yeah. having worked on it, you know, for as long as he had. Well, very clearly, I mean, it was a representation of all the, the things that went wrong or he sure. couldn't have, or, you know, that all of his uh, time away from his family got, you know, poured into that obviously was a, I took it as a negative representation of of you know those those emotions. Um so do you think then that him showing her um you know the the canvas and obviously you know her her reaction um that seemed to imply that it was you know something very different than what he normally did. Do you think that him revealing that sort of sets them on a path of reconciliation. I think so. I think it's left open-ended where you can see that, where it's that idea of him opening up, you know, that painting. If you look at it from a sense of that kind of represents himself, uh, in, in, you know, kind of the, the, the mystery just behind, you know, the secretiveness that I don't know if it's necessarily, he's going to sit her down and, you know, have a, a talk about everything, but I think that, that yeah. it possibly does kind of represent that idea that, you know, maybe he has gotten some closure and maybe he's kind of moved to a point where he feels ready to, to be more open yeah, and to I, kind of, and to, to not have that, you know, layer of, you know, that layer of separation between seemingly everyone in his life, except for Richard, you know, yeah, he, he tells yeah. Richard everything. Yeah. So, um, okay. So rating. Yeah. So keep or donate. And then we're going to put it on. I think we're both keeping it. So I don't think we need to talk yeah. about donate, but whether or not we're going to put it on a, top middle or bottom shelf so where do you have this book ryan uh i've got this on my top shelf whereabouts on the top shelf uh i'll put it uh i'll put it left left side next to all the light i think i i have it furthest to the left at this point okay yeah i'm going to not donate the book obviously (laughs) i thought it was uh i thought it was great i'm also going to put it on the top shelf i think this is you know it's early on we're five episodes in i think this is the favorite book that i've read so far for us in terms of just um, I appreciated it, just the style of it. It was, it wasn't a difficult read. Um, I was, you know, engaged in the story the whole time. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I would recommend it to just about anyone who's interested in, you know, bettering their bookshelf. Ah, yeah. we got the name of the podcast in there. So yeah, I'm going top shelf as well. Okay. Up there. So good, yeah. good choice. Prop Thanks. kudos to you for no, the, I'm, for the I'm, book choice. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I was worried that, uh, that you wouldn't just cause I, I like him so damn much. Um, so you have the pick this but week. We're back to me. What do we got? So we're going to change it up a little bit. Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit before the show. And when we were thinking about what book we're going to go with next is at the core of this show, as much as it's like, you know, we want to have a podcast and maybe even, you know, you know, branch out and do other things beyond that. We get, you know, talk to people or whatever at the core of it. The idea is we want to better our bookshelf, you know, take in these new sort of, uh, you know, read, increase, you know, the, the go outside of our comfort zone, yeah, I guess yeah, is what yeah. I'm trying to say in terms of, uh, in terms of what we read. And neither of us have ever really been science fiction guys. Nope. We've heard of, you know, we've heard of these big science fiction stories or fantasy stories, but that we don't really read genre fiction all that much. So nope. we're going to change it up this week and we're going right. to delve into science fiction with one of the, godfathers of modern science fiction and that's isaac asimov and we're going to be reading foundation okay uh for our next show so 
it's going to be fun. It's a series. Uh, we're going to read the first one, see how we feel about it, and we may come back and do some more later if we uh, yeah. if we feel so inclined. But yeah, I'm excited. We're going to delve into some uh, some sci-fi. Yeah. So now we've checked off the the two biggest genre like genres, uh, subgenres, whatever. Western, with sci- and sci-fi. Western and sci-fi. Yeah. Like, we'll, going to half price books like. Other than romance novels, we'll get to romance eventually. We, we have to. We can get to. We'll get a. We'll get a cooking book in there at some point. We'll get. You know, <laughs> we'll talk about. You'll yeah, we'll just read. I, I do yeah. have an Anthony Bourdain. Book. Yeah, there we'll get to uh, that. Oh, we can. Just, yeah, just so we got that guy. So romance and uh, you know fantasy horror horror true yeah. crime. You know, we got we got some more genres that we can get Man. into. But for the big ones, we're, we we got into a little bit of western, and now we're gonna dabble into uh, sci-fi. So this should be fun. All right. So uh, next week, Foundation. Thank you for uh, checking out our episode this week. If you have not heard uh, episodes one through four, check those out. See if they're they're books uh, you're interested in. Thank you, Jacob, for being here and for reading another book with me. Of course. And until next time.